Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I am honored today to be joined by Brad Miller. He is a West Point graduate and former lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. He served as a battalion commander in the 101st Airborne Division at the time of the Department of Defense COVID injection mandate and that, when that went into effect. He was relieved of command for refusing to comply with the mandate and then subsequently resigned from the Army with just over 19 years of active service. He served in Afghanistan, South Korea, and plenty of other locations. And I'm honored to have him on today to talk about courage, true leadership, and, and standing up for what you believe in and the choices that he made at a time when, I mean, it's just the, the epitome of courage, the time when it was being cast by everybody in the conversation is somehow cowardice. And I think we've quite come far from there and to realize what this really is. So thank you for coming today to talk about this, Brad, and, and kind of just going over this really difficult choice that you had to make and what a lot more people don't realize are forced with, even to this very day. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me on. I appreciate being here. And um, and you're right. You know, when we look back just at what's happened over the last two to three to three and a half years now, I mean, it's almost it's almost crazy to think uh, what we've all had to go through. But then, you know, you kind of look at the years preceding up to that. And unfortunately, it's not super surprising how we got here. But it's, I mean, it's been a wild ride the last couple of years for sure. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that. I agree with that. And it's that's for those that have been kind of following along, like COVID-19, the illusion they're in, I would say, really kind of blossomed people's minds to like, there's a lot of conversation, even in the corporate media side of this, where people are like, well, the conspiracy theorists did get a lot right. You know, it's like, they're kind of seeing that, you know, it opens their minds to other conversations. And that's like, like I've actually had talks with James Lyons-Weiler about this, who runs IPAC, we'll, we'll be talking about that in the show today, where, where he he's kind of evolved his understanding of things, because a lot of these people came kind of head to head with the reality that this industry they've worked in that they respect for a long time may not be exactly what they thought. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, what else? Can we trust the yeah. CDC? Were they lying about this 20 years ago? You know, and it, it really blossoms into this. And my point is that people that are just waking up to this now need to start stepping back into the work of other people that have been going, like James Corbett, for example, that have just been yeah. railing on this for 20 years. And it's the same thing, the same vaccine mandates and same injuries and, and it, much bigger than just the vaccine conversation. You know, I'm, I'm glad you say that because we really need to start stepping back on this. But yeah. Yeah, right? it's, it, you know, we can kind of take, I mean, I, I'm not saying that there were most of us who could have predicted what uh what was coming now there might have been some people who were very much in the know who could have but now that we look backwards you know in the immediate wake of what all this happened and i don't even mean to suggest that this is even over but as we kind of take a forensic view and we're analyzing what happened we just got to realize that as we look back before it happened we can kind of see some of the red flags that were there and hopefully we just all get smarter in our worldview about where we are what's really going on and how we can prevent these uh these types of things from happening I wholeheartedly agree. And and so let, let's start then with this, you know, the main focus of today. And I think this is an exact point that is most primary to this is that people have learned a lot from this. And a lot of people learned that they're not the people they thought they were, right? They, we all love to sit back and go, oh, if somebody's in danger, I'll be the one that jumps up and saves them. But most people aren't those people. You know, we realize that when you find yourself in that position, that you're more about self-preservation, you know, and what I'm seeing a lot is that people weren't okay with that. Like, at least the ones that are honest with this conversation mm -hmm. that I've spoken to now are you know, maybe they don't say it publicly, but they're embarrassed and they're and they're they're upset with themselves for not having more courage or seeing it, you know. And so this is one thing I think we need to learn from. And that's actions like you took here. So let, let's just start with your story and how this happened. So it, so the DOD, well, actually start wherever you want, but the DOD mandate and, and your choice around that. So go ahead and tell us your story. Yeah, sure. So you mentioned some I'm, I'm a graduate of West Point, the United States Military Academy. I graduated in 2003. I entered the Army. You know, I had a, a fairly successful career and um, 
that culminated in being selected as the, the, the commander of a battalion within the 101st Airborne Division. So, uh, you know, a very historic division, you know, one of the battalions within that division. Um, I was in the battalion that I had wanted to command. So being selected for command is already pretty distinctive. But then to uh, to get kind of your top pick for the battalion that you wanted to command is that much more distinctive. So, I mean, I felt like I'd had a pretty successful career. So I took command of the battalion in the summer of 2020. So just to set the timeline, I took command in uh, in June. It was June 10th, to be exact. June 10th, 2021. And uh, the mandate came out in August of 2021. So I was in command for approximately two, two and a half months before the, the mandate went into full effect. Um, I was never going to take the uh, the shots, you know, the, the quote unquote vaccine. I mean, there, there was never a chance that I was ever going to take it. I just uh, was too skeptical, not just about the shots themselves, but I mean, I was skeptical about the entire narrative and I was skeptical from day one. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I had everything figured out. That is not the case. But I knew enough <laughs> about what the government tells us to just not take at face value what we were being told as early as probably February of, uh, of 2020. So, uh, which I would call intelligence. <laughs> yeah. So I was stationed in Korea in early 2020. And so of course the narrative was that this had all started in China. Mm. You know, the South Koreans themselves are kind of freaking out with what's going on. The, uh, the command that the, the U S command over there is kind of freaking out about what's going on in the summer of 2020. I returned to, the United States from Korea. I was in Korea for three years. One year later in the summer of 2021, that's when I take command of the battalion. A couple of months later, the mandate is implemented. I'm not going to go along with it personally. I also don't want to be a part of ordering, you know, my 500 plus soldiers that are under my command to have to take this uh, against their will, their, their will, those of whom uh, had, you know, still held out by that point. Uh, so I was relieved to command. So I was relieved in command in October of 2021. So all told, I was in command for about four and a half months of what should have been a, uh, a two-year position. And then a couple of months later, so let's say by, by late 2021 or very early 2022, I realized that DOD was not going to back off of this. You know, there was no chance that senior leaders were going to come to their senses and so I just decided, you know what, I, I cannot be a part of this organization. I cannot put the uniform on every day. I think that the, uh, the military has um, wildly departed from its own charter, which, of course, would be to defend the Constitution. Right. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. And so I resigned. So when I left, I had exactly 19 years, three months and uh, 15 days of service. So for those who are familiar with the, the military and its pension system, at 20 years, you can qualify for your retirement pension. So in reality, what what did I end up losing? I lost my command that I was relieved from. I lost the remainder of whatever the rest of my career might have been. Right. And, then, uh, and then, of course, the retirement. But, I mean, it is what it is. Like you said, courage. Unfortunately, we, we, uh, we saw that a lot of otherwise very good people and a lot of otherwise courageous people on this issue – they weren't there when we needed them. And I have never tried to tout myself as some sort of perfect officer. I think I was a good officer. I think I had a good career. Um, I think it was above average, maybe even well above average, but I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that I had a perfect career or that I made every single decision correctly along the way in my 19 year career. No, no, no. I'm not telling you that. What I am saying though, is that when push came to shove, the most important decision of my career 
I would at least like to say, yes, I was on the right side. And unfortunately, when I look to my left and my right, my peers are not standing next to me. And just to give you a um, kind of a, a picture of what I mean when I say that, I don't know how many battalions there are in the army, but there are a couple of hundred, you know, and there were only two battalion commanders that were relieved for not going along with this. So two out of several hundred. So we're talking about, you know, less than 1% of commanders at that level that um, refused to go along with this. Yeah, this is unfortunate. And and to, your, to that main point, you know, obviously I would argue and you and clearly agree that your life is more important than all of that, unfortunately. But the fact that you had to make that choice is, is right. depressing. But so a couple of th- questions in there. So when that came down in regard to like the whole, the process from the mandate and then all the way until you realized that it wasn't going away, yep. were you hearing that this was an approved vaccine? Was that, was that, was that the narrative being sold to people and that's why it was able to be forced? Because you know that we've seen stuff pop up since then where it's being exposed that that was the reason, the legal reasoning. And it turns out that they weren't even actually giving an approved version. So was that what you were being told? Uh, that is not what we were being told. And very, very, very few people would have understood that at all, like mm-hmm. within the military at the time that the mandate came out, myself included. I was not aware of that until a couple of months later. And that was part of my decision to resign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I think you're referring to is there was there was a, a clear bait and switch done between two different products, one of which was a, a ghost product that I'm not sure there's ever been any proof has ever been has ever been created. That was done under the label community. Mm-hmm. And then there was another product, you know, this Pfizer BioNTech product, which remained under an emergency use authorization. And that's the one that uh, has been available for people to take. But the one that was actually BLA approved on August 23rd, so the day before the DOD could put their mandate into effect was ostensibly this community product. So in essence, a ghost product was approved in order for a mandate to be implemented but the mandate can only be implemented if there is a licensed product, but that licensed product is not actually available for anyone to take, but almost nobody knew that. So myself included, when I, when I um, refused to go along with the mandate and I was relieved of command, I knew that this whole thing was sinister from top to bottom. I knew that it was predicated upon lies. I did not know about that specific detail. When I was relieved in October, I would say closer to December of 2021 or maybe January of 2022 is when I realized that specific detail. And shortly thereafter, I just realized this is, you know, not only is this unconstitutional and not only is this strategically um, destructive, ultimately it's going to be strategically destructive. And we, we see that it has been. Um, And not only is this, is this extremely sinister in nature, but now it is clearly unlawful i mean just clearly demonstrably unlawful and just predicated upon fraud 100 and and to be and as you know what you i'm sure you agree it was always unlawful what you're saying is it's now vividly yeah. unlawful like everybody yeah, yeah, see. yeah. And, and what's yeah. really crazy about that is that the uh, the evidence that the science the peer-reviewed science that the narrative was that we were supposed to trust is now overwhelmingly showing danger risk i mean it's not even as the british medical journal showed it's a net harm like this is bad no matter what and yet it's still being they're, they're talking about annual boosters right now the same ones that fauci essentially admitted or failed platform anyway the, the, it's just so ridiculous so i agree with you that it's it's criminal i mean there's no way around this yeah and so the real question retroactive like looking back is is so what was aware at that point like how many people do you think let, let's ask this when you were in the process before you had left were you starting to see 
issues showing? Were people having problems? Were there any like outward signs that this was already affecting people in the military? There were. And I had people who approached me. This was months after I was already removed from command. Um, but there were people who would approach me and they would they would tell me a variety of stories. One, they were having medical issues ever since they had taken the shots. Or another type of story somebody might tell me is, I had these issues already medically. Now, they weren't severe enough you know, that I couldn't serve, but I already had these issues medically before the shots. I sought a medical exemption. I was denied. I had to take the shots. I had a horrible reaction. If they ever try to make me take a booster, there's no way I can take it. I might die. I would have people tell me those types of stories as well. And those have, um, I've been out of the army now for almost a year. And those types of stories have only intensified. Right. I, I would say the type of stories and then also the, the number of stories, right. the number of cases that we're seeing. So yeah. it's like, a, I would say there's been a, a huge spike, you know, kind of quantitatively and, and qualitatively people who were maybe sick in the beginning. Maybe they've gone on and they've gotten another booster and now their condition has has worsened. You know, that's that's happening. And I think more people are kind of starting to see issues as well. And and some of them can be pretty severe. So, I, I mean, I know a case of someone who is a, a 23 year old soldier who has suffered three heart attacks. You know, uh, the first one within, you know, a couple of months of the of the of the injections. And then since then, two more. I mean, what what 23 year old that's healthy enough to be in the military would suffer three heart attacks. I mean, something it's just unheard of. And the craziest thing is that there, I mean, there's examples, for instance, where they will then look into it and be like, oh, well, it's X, Y, and Z, which then somehow, you know, even though it was no indication of it before, they still pretend like that was the reasoning. But there are examples where there's no indication of what happened, where they're just like, well, it's un- undisca- un- unknown. And that's not enough for people to one, like yeah. what's going on, you know? And it's that is one of the indications, just my personal opinion, that really does highlight at the very least willful ignorance. So somebody's kind of like, okay, there's clearly something going on, but I've read the room. I'm not going to say anything because I'll lose my job or I'll lose yeah. the, you know, and that's really overhanging all of this. So you know, to, to what degree do you think there are, I mean, I get this is really your opinion, but you, mm-hmm. you serve with a lot of these people. So to what degree do you think is, are people that don't care or people that are reluctantly doing this because they don't want to lose their jobs? Like, where do you see that line? Yeah. So I wrote a piece on my Substack, And again, if people are interested in, uh, in my Substack, they can find it at just my name. It's bradmiller10.substack.com. But I wrote a piece uh, a couple of months ago now. And I mean, I, I put a pretty strong title on it. It was called Treason and Cowardice. Mm-hmm. And so my claim, again, my opinion, right? But my claim was at the top, um, there are people who are responsible for treason. They know exactly what's been going on. Uh, I don't know exactly where that line stops. You know, I I don't know. I don't pretend to know, but beneath that, that treason has been further enabled by just, just absolute cowardice in all levels of command in, in in every branch of service in the military. And if you want to extend it beyond the military, I mean, look at our, look at our medical institutions or our academic institutions where, all these schools, all these universities also put in mandates, et cetera. But if we're talking about the military and, you know, my peer group, people that I know, people that I consider friends, people that I still kind of consider to be, you know, good people deep down, but they are just really lost. If I had to try and guess what I think has happened and those people are cowards. I mean, I've, I've told my friends this, you know, like, hey, brother, I love you, but you're, you're a coward. Right. And maybe two years ago when the mandate went into effect, um, maybe we could accuse people of nothing more than, than, than naivete at that point. And 
I mean, I would say as a military commander, especially like a battalion level or above, naivete enough is probably means you may be disqualified for your job, but regardless. Um, but now you can no longer just, you can no longer claim ignorance two years later. There's so much more additional information that has come out. You can't claim ignorance. If people are ignorant at this point, it's a willful ignorance. And I would say that is due to cowardice because at this point, if you have remained ignorant, it's because you're afraid to go looking at information because you're afraid of what you might find. Even if you're not telling yourself that, even if that's at a subconscious level and you refuse your, you refuse to even allow yourself to kind of kind of put those thoughts at the forefront of your mind, there is still a, a large degree of cowardice there that is blocking people from investigating this material enough to realize that, oh man, maybe, maybe I was wrong and maybe we were wrong, et cetera. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And this is the point I was making in the beginning about, you know, it's very easy to see the dynamic of, you know, a, a person on a train railroad track with a train coming and you jump in and save them. Right. But th- this is more of an abstract version of that, where what you're describing is awareness of a problem and that, you know, that by doing nothing, you're allowing people to be hurt, possibly killed. Right. That's what the evidence shows. Yep. And yet people are choosing to keep their head down. So I agree. That's cowardice. Yep. But and in no way to give anybody a pass, because, as I said, the reality is life and death. But there's an obvious there's a reason it, a lot of people have at least succumbed to that fear. And that's yeah. because of the very obvious personal consequences that they came out really early and made sure we all understood. I saw like Scott Jensen, Dr. Scott Jensen, really early came out and was like there. And it's not even a secret. Insurance companies will quite commonly pay more for different practices and more, you know, different administrations. Mm-hmm. But he came out and said, look, they're getting twice as much money for these COVID injections and, and treatments and, and, and uh, in, in, um, intubation. And he got, I mean, he still gets attacked for that. He lost his practice, you know? Yeah. And so the point is that they, people very quickly were like, okay, I get it. If I say these things, we're going to get attacked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so right now let's talk about what that was for you, right? So what, what happened and what was the personal fallout for you for doing the right thing? Cause that's what this is. Yeah. So, um, so I was, when I took command of my battalion, I very much knew in the summer of 2021, June, 2021, I knew that I was on borrowed time. I mean, at the ceremony where I was, you know, literally at the discreet moment in time in which I was assuming command of the battalion. I mean, I remember telling myself, I don't know how long I'm going to be in, in command, but I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force them to fire a battalion commander. You know, I'm going to be here in this command, do what I have to do for my battalion until they tell me to leave. Now, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying I was bluffing, and if I was, well, I mean, they, they certainly called my bluff because I mean, four and a half months later, I was out of a job. Right. But um, but I but I was going to make them because firing a battalion commander is a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. I was you're going to you're going to have to fire a battalion commander because I'm not going to um, I'm not going to pretend that this is OK. And so one of the things that I kind of started to do from the very beginning with my battalion was I realized early on. My battalion, especially if I'm only in command for a short time my entire command is going to be reduced down to what I do about this mandate. No one's going to care about my tactical acumen. Nobody's going to care about my administration of uh, the uniform code of military justice. All those things that are typically very, very, very important for good reason. But my command is going to be reduced down to this one decision. So I just accepted that. And I said, well, I'm going to make sure I'm going to try and plant seeds amongst my subordinates. I'm not going to tell anyone to not, take the shot. That's a personal decision, mm-hmm. but I'm going to make sure that people know where I stand and I'm not going to bully anyone in, in one direction or the other, but I want people to realize that 
you do not have to go along with this. There is a way out. I'm going to take that way out, but it may come at great cost. You know, now look at what happened to me. Right. You know, I'm not saying that I, I came out unscathed, but I at least tried to show people, you know, that, hey, you, you don't have to go along with this. There is a way out, right? And of course, do I blame my peers? Do I blame my superiors? Yeah. If, if, if my peer group had not gone along with this, and I'm not even talking about a majority, right. but if a very strong, loud-mouthed 15%, you know, whatever, right? 15, 18%, whatever, right? Um, we could have stopped this because they can't get rid of everybody. We just we would have been a very sizable, active minority. But there's something else that I want to mention just with the, the, um, the, the thoughts of people collectively, whether it's in the military or whether it's in society. Um, the military is not... So I, I think there's this prevailing attitude out there that the military is, is full of uh, automatons. Um, it's not, I mean, you are expected to be a critical thinker. Now we can, we can criticize that now, of course, like, Hey, where are our critical thinkers for sure. Um, but that's what makes this so egregious is that we, we tell ourselves, particularly our officers, as they get more and more senior, you're expected to have strategic thinking ability. That's what we're paying you for. Nobody cares if you can command your battalion when everything's easy, right? Nobody cares if you can make the right decision when it's very clear cut as to what you should do. We need you to make the right decision when it's murky. We need you to make the right decision when it's when you have incomplete data, when um, when the environment, you know, when there's a complex environment of interrelated variables and, you know, murky information and and, and you got to make a decision under stress. That's that's when you're earning your paycheck. You know, that right. you're getting paid to do. So we got a lot of people that demonstrated they're incapable of doing that. And here's kind of how I think this happens. So, you know, a lot of people hear the term gaslighting. Here's kind of my take on, on that term, you know. Um, so gaslighting, which, of course, comes from the old black and white movie from the, from the 40s, right? But, um, but it, it's, it's supposed to be some sort of uh, psychological attack on you that makes you question your own sanity. So how does that happen in like a very real way to a lot of people? Here's kind of what I think happened with the whole COVID thing, particularly with the, with the quote-unquote vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. So on the one hand you have the option to believe that these shots are effective, you know, safe and effective, but all evidence, you know, tells you that that's not true. But on, but the other option is, well, they're not safe and effective and they're harming people. And now, Oh, look at what we've done. And Oh, by the way, maybe this was even deliberate. Mm -hmm. And so one of those you, you can't believe because the evidence is just not there, regardless of how much you try to tell yourself it is. But the other is so reprehensible that you can't believe it either. And so you have these two options, which are equally unacceptable. And that just causes a lot of confusion in your mind. And we see this across the entire population. And so that's where I think this has been like one intended effect of this is that it's been a massive gaslighting operation. And it may not be to the point where every single person questions their own sanity, but they do question their ability to reason through what's happening or they just check out. They just yeah. check out and they say, I don't know what to think or what to believe. Therefore, even if they don't make this decision consciously, subconsciously, they say, I got to follow the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance will always be do what's not going to get you into trouble or, or you know, um, maybe impinge upon your livelihood. And it also typically involves listening to those in authority. Path of least resistance, listen to those in authority. And you see right. how we got where we are. 
Yeah. I mean, another good term for it is cognitive dissonance. And I think this is an issue, issue that a lot of people are dealing with, like you described, where, you know, it's, it's so uncomfortable to try to rectify what is really happening and what you're supposed to think about the government. Right. And then all of a sudden you just go, I'm just going to go eat McDonald's and watch TV and go to Walmart. And just, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. You know, that's, that's kind of like, they want you just to fall comfortably back into this illusion. And so you made a bunch of interesting points there is that the idea of the strategic thinking now, I don't know if I believe that they really want that from these from a lot of people. <laughs> I'm sure that they, you know, they, that, but I think what we're seeing now is that like, I mean, from like the, the top down, yep. what we're seeing now is that whether they did or not before they effectively got rid of that with what you just described. Yep. I think that's yep. what you're saying, right? They just yep. bought. So now you've got a bunch of mindless automaton followers that do what, you know, like that, or, you know, to a degree, obviously there's, I'm yep. sure there's individuals that can think past that, but what I've made this comment a lot in the bigger picture, whether not just military, but doctors, nurses, cops, everything, that what they did with this and going back to that original point of scaring everybody away from saying the truth <clears throat> is they essentially forced out anybody with integrity, with morals. Like, mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily even mean that you have to think that they're right because it, it, you could be wrong, but it still takes courage to stand up for something that's unpopular if you believe it. So they picked out anybody that was willing to stand up for what they believed in. And so what you effectively did, again, doctors, hospital, military, you were left with people that were either too dumb to know they were wrong or didn't care for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. That scares the hell out of me to think about that in all the enforcement arm and the hospitals. And these are people that are now being vindictive towards people that didn't do what they were told. You know, And it's really concerning. And so I love that you were telling these people you know, you don't have to do this, right? You there's a, yes, there's consequences, but you don't have to take this shot. And I, I argue that is quite literally the diametric opposite of what the military wants in any situation to be told to these people, right? That they, and you tell me if I'm wrong on that, that it's like, you don't want these people as the P the you know, foot soldier level to be questioning orders. Right. And I think that's this kind of, so it's very, just want to demonstrate the courage it takes for someone in your position to do that. And I ultimately want to get into a conversation about what you said in a podcast in regard to leadership. Mm -hmm. And what that really means, because I mentioned before we started the pot, the show, a person named Simon Sinek, he talks about, you know, the, I guess that one of the most popular videos is titled leaders eat, eat last. Right. And the idea is, is he gets into the chemical side of it. You know, the, the, you know, serotonin and dopamine and, and, you know, cortisol and all these different things that cause their actions. But he makes a broad point about how, what we are, we are basically inundated with rulers today, not leaders, because leaders are in between the community and the danger, not behind the community as they fight the danger, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing today. So I just give, give I want your thoughts on that about you know leadership in general and how you see that overlapping with this and you know what you what a real leader ultimately is in this context, which is kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah. So so thanks. That's um it's it's a, it's a fantastic question. So when you go to West Point, right, and um, West Point, the United States Military Academy. Um, which of course, when you graduate from there, you, uh, you enter into the army as a brand new Lieutenant. Um, it is, if nothing else, a giant leadership laboratory. And I mean that in a very good way, you know, so is it a regimented life and, you know, is it a, is it a rough place to go to school for four years? Yes, it is for sure. Um, but, but, you know, with a purpose and I, I mean, I'm a proud West Point graduate, just like I'm a very proud former army officer. I don't like what's happened, but I mean, I'm very proud of, you know, my service. So, when you, from the day you show up at West Point, um, leadership is just like drummed into you about how you've got to be a leader. And they will tell you about these sacrifices that are, will be expected of you as a leader. And then that kind of never stops while you're, while you're in the army. So what I see on a grand scale is that 
largely our military has almost it's become like a captured a captured institution. So I, I would agree with you that now, yeah, they're trying to get rid of the, the critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. If our military were functioning properly, you would actually want critical thinkers. But right. to your point about leaders eating last or leaders um, serving as examples for their troops. So here's what I saw at play with my own career. And again, you know, this isn't the Brad Miller show where I'm so great. I'm just talking about my case because it's the one that I'm the most familiar with. But you can extrapolate from my case just what happened with other individuals as well, right? Um, so I, I finally, I just had to realize and tell myself there is a grand paradox at play here. So if I am going to be an officer and a leader who truly understands command, and what it means to be a commander, then paradoxically, I'm going to have to be comfortable potentially losing that, you know? Um, What I think most people did, and again, maybe they didn't, maybe they did not go through this consciously, but somewhere in the back of their head, they either became too in love, because when you're a commander in the military, it's a huge deal. So the the military is commander driven. When you're a commander, you're responsible for everything your unit does or fails to do, you know, good or bad. You're the face of the unit and you, and you got to own that. You got to own that in the good times and the bad times. And I, I'm a believer in that. I'm a believer in uh, commanders having that responsibility. We have to be very selective about who we put in those positions and they have to be held accountable in the good times and the bad times. I don't have a problem with that. But I see a lot of people who were too in love with the title commander, you know, too in love with that plaque maybe above their office that said commander and they lost sight of what it means to actually command. And again, that's why I say there's kind of this, this paradox at play there where, Hey, do we have a bunch of commanders that are leading our, our military at all these different levels who have proven that they don't actually understand what it means to command. And I'm, and I'm being very serious when I say that. So for those who, that I spoke about earlier, who might've been just maybe naive two years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. But where are you now? What about those people that you kicked out of your unit? What about those people that you forced to get shots against their will and they may they may now be injured? So what are you doing to try and rectify that? Are you speaking up for these people that you assisted in kicking out of the military or other individuals that are now injured or whatever the case might be? And unfortunately, I do see a little bit of that, but I, but not enough. There's not enough people who went along with this that are now speaking out. And I'm not asking people to resign. I'm not necessarily saying that. But speak out, have the difficult conversation with your right. superiors, speak out anonymously if you must or do whatever. But um, Be a leader. We, we have an ineffective fighting force right now. And look, and we have a military that serves the regime, not the defense of the American people and exactly. you know, the, the Constitution. Right, right. Well, I think this is really that comes to the, kind of the crux of this is, you know, it, it's it's a, even just using those terms specifically. I would even say that it's not so much about commander, but being a leader and what that really means. Because somebody can be given a, a, a position as a commander, right, as we're talking about, but yeah. that doesn't make you a leader, right? That's what that's kind of the point we're making is that these people are not. I mean, and it's kind of the same point if you're just using commander to yeah. mean leader. But the yeah. point is that in all of this context, we're seeing people that have power, authority but are not leaders. And that's the real point because just because you have the power and authority does not make you a leader and vice versa, you can be a leader and have no authority, right? You can be somebody who is leading people and people like, here's the thing. I used to always uh, get told this when I was coming up in, you know, kitchens and stuff, but it's a similar point. People go to battle in their kitchens every day. And (laughs) I used to be a chef, but uh, that, that ultimately that, you know, the point is as a true leader, you should, 
I'm just kind of joking, by the way, obviously not comparable. <laughs> all good, point, all good, you know. <laughs> point being that, you know, if you, when you step out as a leader and you say, follow me, you yeah. shouldn't have to look back and see if people are following you. You should right. know that they're following you because you're the leader. But in, in a context of somebody that they're not, well, that's the point. You don't command that uh, le- the, the respect, the leadership, so you just have that position. And I think what we're seeing today is that, you know, the, the analogy I used, that, or rather his title of the video, that, that leaders eat last, is that what we're seeing today, and I think this puts the fine point on it, is you're getting powerful people that tell us, well, no, we have to eat first. Otherwise, we can't lead. Mm-hmm. Even if that means you have to die to make sure we can keep leading. Well, those aren't real leaders, right? Those are people that are standing on our necks and using us to achieve what they want. And I think this is what your entire situation encapsulates is that, you know, and, and I'm glad you know, and you're humbly saying it's not. I, but I, I think you deserve credit for this. I think it's important to point out that somebody who's taking this position, it's a courageous thing to do. And it's, it's, a, it's a indication of true leadership. And I think that they could learn something from that. And I hope that these people who you may still be in communication with, like have the courage, whether anonymously or not, to stand up, maybe like you suggested, as as 15, 20 percent, maybe make yep. something actually happen. You know, yep. and that's, I'm just hoping that this message can reach those people, because I think it's clear that they can see what's happening. And so it's they must be battling with this every day if they have any integrity at all. You know? Yeah. So I, I think that's happening. So um, so there are numbers that are coming out right now that show that uh, collectively Americans confidence in the military is at the lowest that it's been in at least 25 years. And, um, and you can go back a little bit further than that to the the next time that it was, you know, this low. So it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And I think what's happening because the military has always been one of the most respected institutions in the United States, which is why it's kind of a good indicator as to what's happening with institutions writ large. But I think, um, I think that is what's happening is Americans are losing faith in, you know, all institutions. And I think to some degree that might actually be good. But I think the danger there is, um, is if, if people lose faith in everything, then what happens? And part of me, and again, this is just a hypothesis, and I'm certainly not the only one who's put this out there, was, was some of this baked into the cake. So was like, was grand system failure baked into the cake of the, the COVID op? And if that's the case, then we have to be careful as the truth kind of starts to come out, because while it's great that truth comes out, we have to be careful because this might not necessarily be the, the, the victory that we, uh, we intend for it to be. So what I mean by that is, Hey, let's just be careful. Let's, we want the truth to come out. We want all of us to be more informed about what has happened, but we got to make sure that we're prepared as a, as a people to, um, you know, figure out how we move forward. Right. I agree. And it's a great point to make is that, you know, the truth can just as easily be weaponized as a lie. Right. And so they're very aware of the fact that we all see this. And so there's calculated moves being planned right now. And this is not a conspiracy theory. Governments actively plan these things, as you know, well, and people should understand. Mm -hmm. But so what's interesting, though, is the is the idea of, you know, the institutions in general. I agree with that. And I would say I don't think it's healthy to just dismiss or you know, everything, but it, it's about questioning all of it. That's yeah. kind of my main tagline yeah. is question everything. Yeah. But that also means entertaining everything, right? So yeah. we have these institutions and we shouldn't just blindly say, well, it is this one thing, but we should right now, our, with all the evidence we have, be clearly aware that the CDC, the EPA, the FDA, these are largely captured agencies, but there may still be good people mm-hmm. there, you know? Mm-hmm. So we need to try to do, but it may end up being that we need to re, you know, I don't even want to use the word reimagine because it goes into the direction of the Great Reset, but just, you know, rethink how these things should go forward, you know? But yeah. I want to point out that in, the, in regard to the military specifically, I do agree that the military has always been largely, you know, highly respected by most people in this country. But I personally would argue that that's not about the institution 
So look, I, I have a lot of respect, immense respect for people that go into the military believing they're doing the right thing. Sure. And I say it that way for a reason, because my personal opinion is that, as I think we've discussed, the, you know, you said the regime and where it's going, yeah. That, yeah. That, that what we're doing today is not fighting for freedom, largely. Right. But a lot of people right. believe they are. And I think that still takes courage to fight for that. So that demands respect. Somebody who's willing to go die for something they believe in, even if they're wrong. you know. And I so this mm -hmm. is the kind of thing that we need to differentiate in my mind. It's like saying the country versus the government. Whereas we say the country and we pretend that means the government. Those are two very different things, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think this is where it comes down to is I think that people like you in these positions has always demanded respect. But I think what we're coming to terms with as individuals is that those aren't the same thing. And we need to start realizing yeah. the government has been manipulating us about that for this, you know, this entire time. And, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah. So so I actually have a piece on my Substack um, where I talk specifically about that. The point you made where you make a, a clear distinction between the country and the government. So there's a piece that's called what is patriotism? And one of the things that I go through and I say you know, government is not synonymous with uh, with country. And um, there's a quotation from Mark Twain that is, uh, hey, patriotism is when you love your country or you love your you support your country always. You support your government when it deserves it. You know. Right. And so what I say is, hey, that's right. kind of how I view patriotism. You know, you can be a proud American and that does not by default mean you have to support everything that the American government does in your right. name and you know you think that would just be called logic right? <laughs> right? right you would think yeah it should be obvious right we should all logically uh understand that but sometimes you know we got to go through and we got to got to you know help everybody along and and realize like hey you don't have to hate your country you can right. be totally against what the regime is doing and that does not mean you have to be um ashamed of being an american right you know, we can love our country. We can we can be proud of our history and we can accept the things in our history that, that weren't so great. We can, you know, hey, warts and all just the same with each of us as a person. You know, you can have confidence and self-love even while admitting that you've made errors. We, you know, we got to do the same thing as a people for our country, you know. Yeah, hey, well said. And I, I think that's a really important. I, again, I think that's what people are really grappling with right now is trying to it's a little cognitive dissonance. It's uncomfortable, yeah. you know, to yeah. kind of be forced into this position. But I think that's where we are right now. And I, I, I honestly am I'm positive about it. I feel I, I think I know this is a very, very difficult situation. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, I hate to use the tired da darkest for the dawn kind of analogy, but I really believe that with pe well, what you're doing and people speaking out and the evidence coming out and I mean, they're going to try they you know the the hierarchy enslaving you is the acronym i like to use but the power structure trying to you know they will always try to you know maximize downplay you know whatever the next step will be but right now i see more than ever that people are questioning all of this i, sure. I point the, the bivalent shot for example that even the people yeah. that were going along with everything what did it bottom out at like 17 percent? nobody right, right 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 so people see this right now and i think it's only getting worse because it's like a cornered animal you know it's they're lashing out they're trying to scare people back into place and I, i'm hopeful that this will at least amount to some good step because but the, the point is the job's never done right this is they're always going to be you know buying for power and so a well-informed population is the best is what we mm -hmm. you know that's what we strive for you know and mm -hmm. so i think this is all primary to that is showing people that you can make your choices that are independent of the group think you know think for yourself question everything i think that's very important man so i just really value what you're doing oh well thanks i appreciate that well uh you know there's the last couple of things i wanted to get into with you in general and i wanted to make sure you shout out your uh your new uh position and and ipac in general and big fan of james lyons weiler but i wanted to ask you a couple of quick points before we leave today and and sure. You you were deployed in Afghanistan, South Korea. I think you said Honduras, correct? That was one of the mm -hmm. locations. 
Now, you, you mentioned a couple of statements in your opening uh, Substack post. You, you wrote, I truly believed and believe that DOD leaders are engaged in treason. Now, just it, it's an yeah. interesting statement, right? So yeah. maybe flesh that out. Is that just the COVID injection scenario? Do you feel like it's bigger than that? You know, how do you what do you feel? That, yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah, fantastic question. And, you know, if you're going to make a bold statement like that, I mean, you, you got to You got to own it up. So so that's my opinion. But I mean, I believe that I'm. You know, if I'm going to use strong language like that in something that I put out publicly or in interviews that I say, then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to back it up and I'm going to say, yeah, hey, I do believe it. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I, but I believe it. So I do think it's bigger than COVID. I think COVID is the clearest manifestation of it. Um, but you, we kind of hinted at this at the very beginning that the, the ability to carry out an op like the whole COVID thing, and I'm talking about whatever happened in the beginning to get us to the shots and the lockdowns, the whole thing, the whole op, right. Um, the ability to be able to orchestrate something of that magnitude, which the, the whole world pretty much fell for. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that ability just does not come out of, you know, thin air. So clearly things were put into place. We, we marched down this road over a very long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own career, I got another piece on my on my Substack that uh, has a title. Um, I think it's called 9-11 COVID and Me. But I I almost got out of the army years ago, like 15 or 16 years ago, because um, I had a lot of problems with the narrative around around 9-11. Mm-hmm. So I deployed to Afghanistan the first time in 2006, January of 2006. And um, I was a, you know, I was a junior officer, just a couple of years in the army went to Afghanistan thinking that I was, you know, fighting terrorists for God and country. I thought that while I was over there, I came home still thinking that that was that first deployment in 2006. Right. I was over there for a year. Um, and it would be cool. Like if this were, if our lives were a movie, it would be cool for me to tell you that I had some experience over there on that first deployment. And that's what changed my mind. That's not what happened. I came home still believing that narrative, but then a couple of months later, as it were nothing to do with the deployment, I just kind of started doing, you know, more research into into 9-11. And I mean, right. once, once you go down that rabbit hole, I mean, it just it never ends. Right. So um, I almost got out of the army. Now, spoiler alert, I didn't. But fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years later, right, when all this kind of starts to unravel. Part of the decision that I made to resign and ultimately leave is because, you know, I I knew where we were as a regime you know, 12 years ago, you know, 12 years earlier, 13 years earlier. And um, it's only, it's only gotten worse. Like look at where we are now. Right. So, but, but to your, to your specific question about treason, um, I don't know exactly who it is. I mean, obviously it's at the very top. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I do believe that there are people at the very top to include in DOD who are actively plotting against American values, the Republican virtues that, you know, our, our systems were founded upon uh, against the, the freedom of the American people and even against the very lives of service members. Yeah, I think doing that deliberately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, as I said earlier, you got a whole cascading effect of cowardice below that. So my peer group and even people a couple of ranks above where I was, I'm not saying those people are guilty of treason, absolutely guilty of extreme cowardice. But, you know, when I when I when I level an accusation like treason, I mean, I'm being pretty, pretty deliberate about what I mean, that they are actively and knowingly working against the uh, either the security of the nation or just the very systemic fabric that, you know, holds the republic together. You know, right. 
Right. <clears throat> well, I agree. And I think there's an endless, and this, this is where it really comes down to narrative versus just the endless amount of facts you can bring to the table that makes this exact point. And you could also always try to argue that it's an individual action and so on. But historically, I think there's a lot of evidence with a lot of different countries that we could get into where the mm -hmm. U.S. government has been actively kind of selling out its own population for a really long time, mm -hmm. whether it's for their own benefit or for some grander globalization idea. You know, I, you could always argue they might think in their minds it's for good you know, the greater good, yep. but we're quite clearly seeing that that means that they're willing to sacrifice human lives to achieve yep. that if that's the case. So it's inherently evil, no matter how you look at it. But that's I right. agree. I just, I think it's an, I, I what's what I, the reason I asked and plucked it out is because it is an, it's a big word. Right. And so it yep. does kind of shock a lot of people, but yep. it's interesting how we can see it's like, it's like saying the COVID-19 injection is killing people. And some people are blown away by that statement. It's as benign and easily proven as anything else you can see. So that's why I appreciate that. Is we, we really need to stop pulling punches and just be sure. honest about what we're yeah. seeing. And then lastly, you wrote in the same post, uh, for many years I have believed that our government has lied to its citizens about much of its history. Now that sounds to be bigger than just 9-11. So did you want yeah. to flesh that out? Yeah. So I think, um, so I think if we want to read history kind of backwards to kind of answer the question, well, oof. You know, how long has this been going on? Um, I think if you go back to before 9-11, I mean, I think there are some questions about maybe some of the underlying reasons that we went into, you know, the Gulf War. And um, there's the ambassador. Her name was Glaspie, maybe April Glaspie, that had the conversation with Saddam Hussein, where uh, Hussein asked her straight up about what the, the U.S.'s opinion on um, Iraq's invasion of Kuwait was. And she basically said, you know, no, no opinion. Yeah, that's 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 you guys' thing. Almost leading him to believe that, uh, hey, the United States is uninterested in what happens between Iraq and Kuwait, which in theory could lead one to believe that he felt that, you know, there'd be no repercussions if he were to enter right. Kuwait, who, oh, by the way, was slant drilling. I'm not here to tell you that Saddam Hussein was a good guy. What I'm telling you is that when the United States purports itself to be the good guys, we're not. Sometimes when you got a lot of violence going on, a lot of bad guys on both sides, but that's just one example. You can go back further to like, you know, what was really going on with the Vietnam war. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you want to take the, the war. There are two wars in United States history. This is, this is probably going to, you know, upset some people that hear this, but it's all good. But there are two wars in United States history that are painted in very clear, good versus evil, almost Manichaean terms. That's world war two and the civil war. And I, I don't think it's, quite that clear. I would never, ever, 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 ever defend Hitler or what was going on there. I'm, I'm not here to do that. What I'm saying is on our side, there are other facts at play to where our side was not as, as squeaky clean as one would believe. I think you can kind of say the same thing about the civil war either. Would I ever defend slavery? No, absolutely not. I think now we're in a system where we're all being enslaved. And I think there's some, uh, some things there that um, consolidated the Republic that came out of the civil war um, that built an empire that have directly gotten us to where we are now, if that kind of makes sense, you know? Absolutely. Well, and what's really fascinating about what you point out there is, you know, like for, here's a good example today is you'll have, somebody could have a genuine criticism of the Israeli government and they'll get yep. labeled anti-Semite. Right. Yep. And so it's like, well, hold on, like certainly possible, I guess, but we're simply talking about a governmental policy. Right. And so what it does is effectively, couches that conversation in something that has nothing to do with the point you're making. So what's really yeah. fascinating is it's, it's almost laughable that you can say 
World War II might be different than you think. And they're like, Nazi <laughs> or, yep. you know, whatever. It's like, whoa, that's a really irrational response to, to some general criticism, by the way, that there's evidence to back up, you know, yeah, or, or exactly. civil war, you know. Yep. There, there's a lot of evidence in, let's just take World War II, as you probably know, in regard to people at the highest levels of power, you know, even just families, Rockefeller, Racha, yes. funding both sides of this, but even the U.S. government being directly involved. We know that eugenics, the practice was born in the United States and it was brought over into the, and that's now branded as the eugenics uh, society became the Galton Society, and that's involved yeah. with the COVID-19 program. Yeah. And nobody wants to talk about these uncomfortable topics. You know, yeah, but, if, or, if people have... Um... If people have never heard this, you know, people's eyes will be opened if they go look up the uh, the Supreme Court case. I think it's from 1927, Buck v. Bell, which is one that was actually cited by the Nazis. Just, you know, kind of what you were talking about. But people, uh, Americans just have they have no clue about that stuff. And so, again, I would never defend the Nazis, just like I would never defend you know slavery. If we're talking about the Civil War. What I'm saying is it's it's more complex than just that. And. Unfortunately, people want to take a reductionist view of, of right. history and look at things in overly simplistic terms. That doesn't that does not help us out. That helps our oligarchic overlords that want to you know keep the regime in power. Right. And you don't. So a big kind of almost like a mantra of mine is don't be an agent of your own enslavement. And so number one, number one in 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 kind of doing that right or uh, is. Uh, Hey, get, get a little bit smarter about history. And then yeah. and you don't have to, when you hear a narrative, I like to just operate on the principle of, ah, just wait and see, you know, people think that conspiracy theorists, a lot of times I have friends of mine who think that I'm very rigid in my thought. And I try to explain to them, no, actually, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're typically the, the most open-minded. Right. And somewhere along the way, you actually had to have the flexibility of thought to tell yourself, Man, I think my worldview is incomplete. I think a lot of what I have believed potentially for you know decades, right, may not be the entire truth or whatever. So that to me takes a, an extreme amount of open mindedness or or a flexibility of thought. When I say flexibility of thought, I don't mean the ability to just like believe anything, but just you be know, yeah, exactly, exactly. You yeah. know, be, be willing to uh, think critically before yeah. you just rigidly and dogmatically accept a, a narrative, whether it's the narrative that is presented to you or whether it's just as dogmatically accepting the de facto counter narrative that right. almost falls out from immediate rejection from the narrative. Cause I think that is also a tool that is, that is, uh, that is intended when uh, certain narratives are projected for the public, if that makes yeah, sense. Quite frankly, intentionally, I think it's about yeah. creating this binary dynamic and then yes. the truth is always somewhere in the middle, you know? Well, there was two studies, I think. One was MIT, I forget the other one that came out during the COVID illusion that one was about masks in particular, I forget the other's focus, but basically found that conspiracy theorists were far more objective, open-minded, more knowledgeable when it came to peer-reviewed research. That was an MIT study. The, the primarily about masks. And of course, it got roundly dismissed because it didn't, they didn't like what it was finding. But it, it wasn't saying right or wrong. It was just simply pointing out that, well, these people that you're calling dismissing are, are not citing some fringe video. They're pointing at peer-reviewed science, right? Sure. And so how are we? And it's just it's fascinating to see how afraid people were of that. And, and going back to the other point, I think it's to flesh that out again, I think that is, you know, what we're saying in regard to let's take World War II again is not to say that it's like supporting one side or the other. Again, it's about being able to entertain or acknowledge the evidence that shows that there were factors in power, both in the U.S. and otherwise, that were maybe not even taking sides as well, but just profiting off of all that was happening and possibly being, you know, in, 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 you know 
whatever that means to you. Right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there weren't people in the government that completely thought the narrative, like people that were actually thinking they're fighting against evil and so on. Yeah. And it just really comes down to us being able to think critically about this, as you're saying, and question these larger topics, because it's not so binary as good and evil. It's just not. I think, you know, Caitlin Johnstone says this a long time ago, that the government really does. We want good. And the reason we know that is because they wouldn't pretend to be doing good around the world if they didn't at least believe that we want that from them, Mm -hmm. right? So they always mask themselves as fighting for freedom and liberty and all that. And so it really does show you that all we need to do as a population is just acknowledge that we're being deceived and make that the reality, you know, because that's who we really are at our core, you know, and I think what values you're demonstrating really do encapsulate that. So thank you again for, for, you know, being here today and continuing what you're doing. You know, uh, there's anything you want to leave us with on the way out here. I know you wanted to mention IPAC and this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you, you referenced earlier. Um, so, so there is, so there's a, there's a learning community that James Lyons Weiler, uh, set up a couple of years ago. So it's called, so there's a science research organization that's called IPAC, the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge. And then there's also kind of this learning community as a part of that, that is called IPAC EDU. And that's just, uh, you know, people can find it real easily. It's just, I-P-A-K, IPAC hyphen E-D-U dot org. And people can go there and there, there's 30 plus courses that, uh, that individuals might be uh, interested in. So um, that kind of platform was established for individuals who realized that, hey, you know, I want to take charge of my own learning. I want to take charge of my own, my own education, et cetera. And so in, um, in speaking to Jack, you know, James Lanzweiler, uh, I wanted, he asked me, Hey, maybe there's some ways you can, you can help me out. You know, we can expand this. So we've been talking about some ways in which we might um, offer some other courses. And so there's a course that I personally am going to teach and it's called literature as resistance. And um, the basic curriculum of the course is we're going to go through and we're going to read some of this uh, dystopian literature, almost kind of the, some of the works that are in kind of the, the canon of dystopian literature, like 1984, brave new world, Fahrenheit 451. A lot of these books that Americans are familiar with, but they're probably not as familiar as they should be. Or maybe they read these books 20 years ago and, and their understanding of 1984 was, was, yeah, they get it. They get that it's, you know, about totalitarianism, et cetera. But what we want to do is go through and and throughout the course, which is uh, about 19 lessons, it'll meet, you know, once a week, starting in September, um, is actually explore these texts Mm -hmm. and then see what type of, um, of insights are in these texts that can help us kind of, you know, recognize, unmask, and even counter these uh, totalitarian tendencies. Um, And, and it kind of goes back to that title, you know, literature as resistance. So I, I very much think, so, uh, so why did I want to teach this course and, and why am I even capable of teaching it? So one, I think Americans need to read more and um, absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I like to read, you know, um, but I also feel that if we can, if we can have a group that comes together for this course, we can almost kind of hold each other accountable for, you know, doing the the weekly reading or whatever to help us just kind of understand these texts better. And then we can kind of dive into them and we can look and see what sort of themes are extant in the literature that act as some sort of forewarning or insight that we could use. And we can look at, you know, our world around us and say, oh, man, some of these books that were written literally 100 years ago, look at how predicted they have been or whatever. And, um, you know, we can talk about whether some of those authors, depending on which books we're talking about, whether some of those authors were um, 
were warning us or whether they were insiders and they were basically telling us. I'm glad us you said that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I'm so fascinated by that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that is absolutely worth, worth discussing. You know, mm-hmm. we can look at like Aldous Huxley and what his, his background is. I also do think that a lot of these people operate on the principle of, um, you know, revelation of the method or whatever you want to call it, where they kind of got to tell you what they're going to do. But let's talk about that in the course. But regardless, regardless, you know, some of these books are almost 100 years old. Um, So, you know, the curriculum is going to it's going to we're going to read 1984. We're going to read Brave New World. We're going to read Fahrenheit 451. We're going to read a Russian novel called We that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. And uh, it was written in the very, very, very early days of the Soviet Union. I think it was written in 1921 and 22, and then it was published actually in English first because it couldn't get published in the Soviet Union. It was published in English first in 1924. A lot of Americans are unfamiliar with that text, but it did influence certain authors like George Orwell uh, before he wrote, you know, 1984. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to just kind of, hey, let's let's use these these works as an interpretive lens for better understanding uh, our world and where we're at, you know? Outstanding. Yeah, and it, really, it doesn't, it, whether or not it was a warning or seeding the narrative, it's still very relevant to, you know, it, it, the joke is it's basically a, an instruction manual for what's happening today. It's it's hard not even to, it's like, it's a laugh, but you're kind of like, but really though, it's like, you can really see yeah. exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah like that, saying, you know, make 1984 fiction again, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I really, I really value that, and I love what what James is doing in general. I'm, my audience is very familiar with him. I've had him on, I think, twice mm-hmm. or three times, and I really love the the. I mean, I pointed out his his uh, study. I think really the only other person since um, no, I'm not going to blink on his name. All of a sudden, uh, involved with the Vax documentary, the per, the whistleblower from the CDC. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that he came out with the study about Vax versus Unvax, and I think James Lyons Weiler and, and IPAC are the only ones that have done it since, as far as I could tell. And it's shocking, as you as you right. probably know, that it's showing right. a diet like well visits through the roof compared to kids that have no vaccine. So great work over there. I hope you'll check it out. IPAC in general and IPAC EDU. So thank you for being here, man. I appreciate it. And uh, let's let's make sure and connect again as this whole story goes forward. All right. Hey, thanks, brother. Thank you. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.